We're smack in our series, Making Room for God. And uh, this is a great season for us to look in our hearts. Earlier, Pastor Lathan read that. Do you read that same text about uh, uh, the light of God? And I was thinking about how often shadows can get into our souls. Shadows are kind of sneaky. And it's good to take seasons and just stop and reflect and look inside with God's help. Search me is how the psalmist said it. See if there be any hurtful way in me. And that's what really our journey to Easter is all about. It's about looking in our hearts and saying, God, we as a people want you to speak. We want you to find more space in our lives. And imagine what life would be like with God having more space. So we're talking about that. Um, You know, I was thinking about the fact that God often uses the idea of love between a man and a woman, the attraction, uh, the marriage, as a metaphor for uh, his church and how he wants to relate to us. It's somehow there's, there's imagery in it. There's, uh, it's almost like a parable. Paul makes the comment, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife. They too become one flesh. He said, I speak, this is a great mystery. He said, I speak concerning Christ and the church. So this metaphor is there. So some of the things that you see in the context between a, a man and a woman in terms of love, they are evidences or aspects of what we see in our relationship with God. Well, one of the things you notice when a couple first falls in love is they are a bit crazy, right? They're on cloud nine oftentimes. They oftentimes use goo-goo-ga-ga language to each other. And uh, every other human creature on the world disappears because they're so exclusive. And they're usually a little annoying to others who aren't in their vortex of love, right? (laughs) Scientists actually say something physiological happens when a couple falls in love. That there is this uh, actual hormone cocktail that lights up their brains. They, uh, chemicals like dopamine create these intense feelings of elation, feelings of well-being, even a sense of emotional stability, dopamine. And then there's even norepinephrine. This is it's this, uh, um, or this uh, um, hormone that, that engenders um, a kind of high, and it makes you feel like you can do anything, right? Well, they say, scientists say that that hormone cocktail only lasts about three months, sometimes as long as 12 months. And, and what the kind of the psychological idea behind this, or even the theological idea behind this is, why would that happen? I think is because it's almost, it gives people a shot in the arm to consider imagining what life would be like together for their future. And that this kind of falling in love is a moment where you can consider a commitment. That I want to be with this person. And that when you vow into a marriage, you're really saying, I, I think life with you is going to be better than life without you. And you're imagining what life would be like them. So you make this commitment. You're going to a higher place. The reality is the hormone cocktail will not get you through the commitment. Because it stops. <laughs> you're, you fall in love and then you hit. Something. And once you fall and you hit, you've got to get up and you've got to begin to grow in love. Some people actually, because they don't understand that, they think that falling in love is all that love really is. So when, the, when they stop having those emotional feelings, they just get out of it. They're, they have an aversion to commitment. So the minute that it wears out, they think, well, it must not be the one. And they jump out because they don't understand how to really 
grow in love. There's a lot of people who divorce and remarry with some degree of consistency. There are people like this. They, 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 they do so precisely because they think falling in love is what love is. And they have no disposition for growing in love. And the toughness that sometimes that, in, that, it, that involves. All, I'm saying all that to say this, that that whole idea of the challenge of human relationships spills into our relationship with God. All of us, the minute that we cross the threshold of faith, we have a kind of falling in love moment. I remember, uh, you know, and, and dealing with people myself and dealing with people that have crossed the threshold of faith and they have this illumination and they have this awareness and they go, oh, this is so wonderful. And they'll tell everybody, you know, about their newfound faith in Christ or, and they've got the, they feel like there's wind in the sails and they just want to run at their faith or they, they feel like they're falling in love, you know, that kind of idea. And, and they fully oftentimes expect it's just going to get better and better. I mean, this is just the beginning and it's so cool. It's just going to be, man, in a year I'm going to be jacked up. Right? I'm going to be, you know. <clears throat> and, and there are Bible verses that sort of encourage that kind of idea. This is 2 Corinthians 3. And Paul is talking about, you know, being connected with the Holy Spirit. And he says, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. God love that. And we, who, like, our faces are unveiled, we... We reflect the Lord's glory, and we're transformed. I like that word. Transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's that kind of idea that, man, this is just going to get better and better and better and better. And thinking that way, when I thought that way myself, I wasn't alone. I mean, every youth event I used to go to as a kid, tent meetings or, or uh, what do they call those um, Camp meetings, you know, where you go to camps and be there for a week. And, and, and almost, there was at least one guy or gal, if not more, that would be preaching and saying to us, man, you, you can't be lukewarm, man. You've got to be hot for God. You've got to be on fire, fire, fire. I mean, you've you, you got to go after it. Like, it was almost like we were being called to be emergency response workers for God. You know? <laughs> And, and as you read devotional material, I'm telling you, whether you get it from the Catholics to the Methodists to the Pentecostals to the Baptists, there's always devotional material that suggests a person can be burning for God 24-7, uh, growing to perfection if you just try a little harder. And, and it's one of the reasons why the monastic gesture began, that, you know, nuns and priests going to monasteries. This was back in the 200s. I mean, this is a long time ago, where people began to go out to the desert or go to sequestered places because they thought, if we can just get away and just pray more, our level of spiritual fervor will grow, our enlightenment will grow, and man, we're going to be perfected, and we're going to be glorious in the world. It was that kind of gesture, that kind of idea. People think that way, just like they think when they first fall in love. This is going to be amazing forever, right? But <laughs> when you examine the historical Christian record and you read, particularly to the guys when they were older, you can read guys you know, from history, when they were young, they would talk about perfection. They would talk about, you know, being full of this, you know, lightnings for God. And then as they got older, they started changing their tone a little bit. <laughs> or just get old yourself. <laughs> and uh, you start getting, uh, you know, touched by the vicissitudes of life, the changes of life, the contingencies of life. And all of a sudden, the tone starts changing, and you realize, you know, maybe this isn't about being perfect. Maybe this is about 
struggling well. And sure enough, that's exactly what you hear. Is that as, as, as it turns out that spiritual growth is not so much vertical perfection as it is living horizontally well. You're always going to be a little vacillating. Always, because that's just life. We oscillate. Sometimes we have dark days. Sometimes we have better days. Sometimes dark moments, better moments. But some of you live like this. <laughs> right? Right? And, and some of you, you know, what, what the idea is here is to make the valleys a little lower, the peaks maybe not as high, and you start getting a little consistent. And then maybe you just tick up a little and you're just a little kinder, a little more gentle, a little more understanding, a little more joyful, a little more, see, it's just, you start growing through life where you're struggling a little better than you did last time, last year, not last life. Right? In other words, growth is about really coming to a place where sin is no longer completely dominating your life. Romans 7, Paul talked about this idea. He's mature. He's an apostle. He's one of the top dudes. He wrote a third of the Bible, uh, New Testament rather. And he says this, so, this is Paul. Okay, I, I found this thing going on. This is, this is what's going on. When I want to do good, evil is right there. For in my inner being, part of me, I love God's law. I love his word. But I see something else going on in the work of the members of my body. And it wages war against my mind. It makes me a prisoner. You ever feel like a prisoner? Of the law of sin at work within my members. He's saying there's a war going on. And he answers. This is how he reacts to it. He, this is his conclusion. What a wretch I am. What a wretched man I am. See, I think this is God's answer for us to begin to grow in our faith is to come to the conclusion that at best we're wretched. <laughs> that you being a wretch is par. <laughs> However you're naughty, that you're going to be like that for the rest of your life, that you will never. I mean, you may have your moments where you're a little better, but at base root, at the very core of our being, there's something about us that isn't right. We all come from the land of broken toys. <laughs> right? And, and we have to understand that when we understand, when we come to the places, I'm a wretch. At the, that's who I am. Even though I want to do what's right, something in me wants to do what's wrong, and I end up getting mixed up. I end up getting prisoned, in, imprisoned sometimes. It's when we understand I'm a wretch that we can go on and say, ask this question. Well, who will rescue me? Which leads to the next answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, that's Paul. So in other words, what Paul is suggesting to us is he say, listen, you're never going to be able to make yourself better. The only thing you can hope to do is find the spouts where the hope comes out. Find the place where you can experience grace. Find the place where you can be rescued. In other words, faith is not about perfection. It's about trusting for God to help you. See, all of us have places where we get stuck. All of us have places. And what Paul is suggesting that we do is when we face those, that we say, God, you see that? That's about as good as I get. You see that? I'm going to continue to be just like that, just as rude, just as mean, just as lustful, just as hateful, just as mean-spirited, just as selfish. And, and until I get your help, I'm a wretch apart from you. And spiritual growth is recognizing that and learning to receive his help so that you're a little better in your life. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but perfection is not the goal here. Sin just doesn't have to win. That's really as glorious as it gets. 
And as long as you're breathing on this planet, you will always struggle. Uh, the best we can do, which is actually pretty sweet, is live by the Spirit so that we don't live by that lower nature that wants to pull us away from the Spirit. And Paul addresses this. He says, he says when you live by the Holy Spirit, if you can, you say, well, what does that mean? You've got to figure that out. I mean, I've got some ideas, but you've got to work that out in your own life because all of us have a different journey. All of us have different experiences. All of us have different backgrounds. All of us have different things that affect us or don't affect us. You've got to figure this out. But when you figure out how to connect with the Holy Spirit, whether it's in worship, coming to church, being with other believers, looking at Scripture, whatever, all those things may help you, but there may be a few that help you more. And as you learn to figure out what those things are, and you get into that place where you're connecting with the Holy Spirit, stuff will start growing out of you. Fruit will come. It, and it will be, it'll just come out of you. You'll shock yourself. Because you'll, and he, Paul describes that. We'll read that in a second. But he said, if you don't connect with the Holy Spirit, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of other stuff that comes out. It's the naughties, right? And there are all kinds of them. Right? There's some good naughties and bad naughties. Let me give an example. There's some good sin and bad sin. Here's a bad sin. Looking down on people. How many think that's a bad sin? If you just look on down, if you look down on people. I look down on people who look down on people. It's a better sin. It's a, it's a, it's a holier sin. But I'll be honest with you. <laughs> and it, it's so weird because when I seem to overcome some sin, there's like a whole other bunch of sin I step into. They're just holier. <laughs> right? Uh, what I think we need to understand is that God's not looking for us to perform. He's looking for us to trust. And it's when we trust that instead of living in one sin or the other, we start actually living in a different kind of fruitfulness. Paul addresses this. This is Galatians chapter 5. He said, guys, live by the Spirit. Figure this out. What does that mean for you? How can you be more spiritual? How can your day be more formed by the spiritual activities of your life? What does that look like for you? Don't gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Don't let your sinful lower nature form you. For the sinful nature desires was contrary to the spirit. Spirit was contrary to the sinful nature. And then and you got this conflict going on. That's why you feel so weird. And you, don't, you can't even do what you want to do. You have this impulse to want to do right, but you can't do it. All of us relate to this. He said, but if you're led by the spirit, then you won't end up in prison. You won't end up being bound because the Holy Spirit will raise you to a higher level. Something will transform in you. And then he goes on to list what this looks like. He says, the, the acts of the sinful nature, I mean, if, you, if we want to delineate these, you'll get them. They're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Debauchery is just the idea of you get lost in stuff. It, it, it's the, it, it's, you know, you, you want to play a video game, play, three days later, you're still playing it. You know, you, you drink a, a beer and, and three days later, you're still drinking more. It's you're just debauched. You're just, you, you excess. You just, whatever you jump in, you jump into a friendship, you jump in too far. You're a debauch. <laughs> and so he says, that's, that's evidence of your sinful nature. He says, then there's idolatry, which is just loving things too much. Loving things out of their order. You could be an idol worshiper. Witchcraft, which is just about control. Trying to control your circumstances. Controlling people. Uh, it, it's, it's also connecting with the devil to do that, but it can, be, it, it can just be that impulse of that. Uh, then he talks about hatred. You get that discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, listed with witchcraft. 
listed with sexual immorality, selfish ambition. But you know what this tells me? We're in trouble. Because he's listing all these things and basically saying that they're fruit of this flesh. And he goes on to say, uh, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. This isn't an exclusive list. It's all this kind of thing. And he says, I warn you, as I did before, that these ki- if you live in this stuff, if you're living by your lower nature, you're not going to see the kingdom. You're not going to see the rule of God in your life. It doesn't mean you're going to hell. It just means God's, you will not see God's rule in where you work. You will not see God's kingdom come in your heart, in your friendships, in your marriage, with your children, in your world. You, you, God won't come through because you're blocking him out. You're covering your light with a bushel. Your own lower nature is dominating you and forming you. But then he says, but if you can figure out how to find that spout where his grace comes out. And you can figure out how to connect with the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, what will happen is you'll get this fruit that it, will, it won't be you trying it. It'll, be, it'll come out of you. Love, which means setting value on people you wouldn't nor, or normally set value on. He says joy, which is this expectation of something good instead of dreading all the time. You're going to think, oh my gosh, something, something good's afoot. Something good's going to happen. Uh, peace, which is everything's appropriate. Patience, kindness, which means you're solicitous or you're, you're, you're given to showing favors to people. He says uh, another one is goodness, which is a motive thing. Not selfish ambition for something for yourself, but goodness because you're committed to something greater than yourself. Faithfulness, you're sticking in there. Gentleness, self-control. He says, when you're in this stuff, there's no bondage. There's no law. There's no prison. This is the thing where we're saved by Christ Jesus. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, you crucify that lower nature with all its pushing. And, and, but he said, if you live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. See, family. Christianity is not about perfection. It's about learning how to give room for God so that he begins to operate in a larger space in your life. A few days ago, a friend of mine asked me to jump into his car, and he had stuff in his car and his front seat, so he had to get all that out of the way so, so I could get me in there. He was making room for me. See, what we're doing in seasons like this is we're just trying to make room for God. Say, come in here. Come in this space in my life. And so we, 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 we set apart a Wednesday night or, we, or with those little books, that Making Room for God books, you've got morning, noon, and, and evening uh, reading or prayer. You're just cutting out that little piece of time and saying, God, come in here. God, what we're after is not some kind of performance. What we're after is an experience because as we do stuff like this, what, what you're really doing is you're trying to see how will it affect your soul. Some of you are going to find out, oh my gosh, this really helped me. This, this, this two minutes in the morning, two minutes in the afternoon, two minutes at night, I tell you, my heart is ticked up. I'm a little more patient. I, I just feel something's a little better going. And you can say when we're done with this at Easter, you can say, you know what? I'm going to do that for the next year. That, that was a good experience for me. Or some of you doing some fasting. It might be the first time you've ever fasted something where, where you have this impulse for a thing, whether it's a meal or for chocolate. How many love chocolate? God bless you. God bless you. I see those hands. You know, it's something you love. And so what happens is your impulse is going for that, but you say, no, I'm not going to love that. I'm not, I mean, it's not that you're loving it inappropriately. You're just saying, I'm not going to desire. When I feel that impulse of desire, I'm going to switch it up. And I'm going to say, God, you know how much I love chocolate? Even take out a piece of smell it. Oh, I love chocolate. I love, I love, I love. You know how much I love chocolate. But instead of this chocolate, I just want to tell you, I love you more. Amen. And in that little moment of fasting, it, it may irritate you. 
it may make you a little crazy. But it, it may also really bless you. And if that happens, you can say, you know what? I need, when I start seeing my life ticking down, I need to do some of these practices so my life starts ticking up. Because the goal of Christianity is struggling well, not perfection, but not letting my life bottom out. And so we're just trying to, as a community, figure out how to give room for God. See, that's what this is about. And how, because what happens is, when you let God start filling your life, you, you, you literally will surprise yourself. Let me tell you a quick story. Guy that I know in St. Louis, Lutheran pastor. This was back in the 70s when the, when the charismatic renewal was in full swing. And he was a Lutheran pastor in St. Louis, had a Lutheran charismatic prayer meeting in his basement on Tuesday nights. He didn't always go. It was driven by the laity. And, but he'd go once in a while. And one particular night he was there, there was a couple hundred people there in the basement of the church having their prayer meeting on the Tuesday night. And he came to the back, he came a little late, and he came, he was watching what's going on, and he saw this guy over here who wasn't really getting into it. After the little meeting was over, he came to the guy and said, hey, how you doing? To introduce himself as the pastor of the church. And he said, how do you like these meetings to this guy? He goes, I don't like them at all. So why are you coming? And she brings me, <laughs> pointing to his wife. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, what don't you like about him? He said, it's all this hugging. I don't like, I don't like people. All this hugging. Men hugging men. Something not right about that. He was just saying. <laughs> so the Lutheran pastor said, listen. He said, would you be surprised if I told you that really you don't have to talk yourself and all this? He said, you know, God actually, the way he changes us is actually he just simply does stuff in us in, you know, kind of in a surprising way. So he said, why don't you do this? He said, does your, do, do you have any worship music? Or he said, you know, music tapes. They were back in the cassette tape days. And he said, well, that's all my wife listens to. He said, you what? I'll make a deal with you. He said, he said I'll challenge you to do this. Take, well, take one of those worship tapes, and every time you go to, to, do you drive to work? He said, yeah. When you go to drive to work in the morning, he said, plug one of those worship tapes in, and as that music is playing, just as you're driving along, say to the Lord, Lord, I don't like people. <laughs> but if you want to like people through me, if you want to love people through me, I'm open to that. But don't ask me to do it. I don't like people. He said, just be honest. Just tell God what you're like, that you're a wretch. That's par for you. And then just say you're open to him taking space in your life. So the pastor didn't show up at that place for about six weeks. He was gone and different stuff. Uh, about six weeks later, he comes down the stairs on a Tuesday night. And here's this guy down there hugging everybody that's coming in, hugging everybody. And he notices it's this guy, this guy that didn't like people. So he comes up to him and he goes, do you recognize me? <laughs> he said, yeah. He said, and he hugged him, gave him a little bear hug to the pastor. He says, well, what happened to you? He said, well, I did just what you told me. So I took that tape, plugged it in there. He said, on the way to work, I said, God, I don't like people. Never will like people. But if you're okay, if you want to, I'll let you love people through me. He said, and I started doing that. He said, sure enough. He said, I started loving people. He said, don't misunderstand me. He said, I still don't like anybody. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't like people at all. But he said, something else going on. I said, I'm loving people. And it's not me, it's the Lord. Dude, that's what we're talking about. You don't have to de-schmuck yourself. You will always be a punk. That's it, baby. You are a wretch. Right. But there's someone bigger than you who will give who will take space in your life if you will dare to give grace space. 
say, what does that look like, Pastor? Oh, I don't know. I mean, everybody, it looks different for everybody. Some of you, maybe for the first time on Sunday mornings, maybe you need to start, stop singing and start worshiping. When the songs go on, you say, what do you mean? Make the songs a prayer. When those songs go up on there, instead of, you know, singing it, from your heart, pray those words. You might be surprised at the level of grace you feel. Some of you just by coming to church, there's a level of grace in you that lasts at least three or four minutes when you leave. <laughs> right? Find out. Maybe some of you will be silenced. I dare you. If you're used to playing loud music every time you jump in the car, turn off the music in the car. You'll go crazy. But in that craziness, just pretend God's there. Just look over. Pretend you're holding his hand or something. Stick your thumb in your finger. Just anything. And, 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 or, or you may or open the scripture. Some of you maybe never read scripture. I'm telling you, some of the stuff you'll do, some of it will go, oh my gosh, that really helped me. Then keep doing that. Because if you keep doing that, you're going to start, you're going to start loving people when you can't stand them. You'll start having patience when you don't have patience. And you'll be surprised that God showed up in your life. Let me read one more text to you. This is um, 1 Corinthians 15.10. This is Paul. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me, it, it, it wasn't without effect. See, a lot of us have grace in our lives, but it's of no effect because we're so dominated by our lower nature. We don't let grace take effect. He said, but I worked harder than all of them. With what? With grace. What did that mean? He moved to the places where grace dominated. He said, yet not I, but it was grace that was in me. It sounds kind of confusing, but what he's saying is he found spots where he connected with the Holy Spirit, and when he found that, he was doing stuff differently, and he kept fighting to get in that spot. Keep fighting to get in that spot. What does that look like for you? Prayer, meditation, quiet, rhythms, my wife, Gail, turns on worship music. She goes to heaven. I don't have, I like to worship in church, but when I turn on music, it detract, distracts me. I don't like music. You know what floats my boat? Quiet. I, I do the daily office, which is, is what your Lenten booklet's made on th three times during the day. Pray in the morning, noon, and then in the evening. For some reason, that affects me in a way that's dramatic. So I've been doing that for years. It helps me. Find the stuff that helps you. Because this isn't about you anyway. It's about God in you. I talked to a great friend. Married 45 years. And for the last 20 years or so, his wife has had trouble with emotions and, and some mental illness. And it went, turned bad about two months ago. And uh, she'd been in and out of the uh, um, mental institution and and trying to get a hold of what's going on in her life. And, and uh, so I asked him, I said, man, how you doing? He's a doctor. How you doing? He said, that's not the right question. He said, 45 years ago, I stood on that altar. I looked at that girl. And I said, I will love you in sickness or in health. He said, I am delighted that every day of my life, I get to live out that vow. He said, because I'm committed to something more than myself. I thought, dude, that's a quotable. Think of that. Living to a story that's bigger than you. That's the Christian life. It's us finding places where we say to God, God, have more space in me. 
make this more than about me. I don't want to just work for what I'm paid. I want to work as your follower. I don't want to be a dad based on my emotions. Sometimes I feel like a dad. Sometimes I don't. I want to be a dad based on how you would be a dad. I want to be a spouse based upon how you... In other words, we're living on something higher than ourselves. One more quote, early I'm done. St. Francis of Assisi. Here's what he said. Good old St. Francis. Above all, the grace and gifts that Christ gives to his beloved is that of overcoming self. In other words, you're living in a larger story. Wouldn't that be something if in our network, in our communities, we encourage one another in this season, 40 days leading up to resurrection, to really think about what does it look like to live beyond ourselves. God bless you. I'm going to invite our ushers if they would come as we just prepare for communion this morning and uh, worship team as they return back to onto the stage and preparing ourselves for communion here. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of, I'm not going to take over from Pastor Ross as the worship leader, I promise. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm sure all of you are thankful that I'm not going to take over from Pastor Ross as the worship leader. But what I am going to say is the fact that this light that Pastor Ed has been talking about this morning, this light that comes into our lives and through what Jesus did for us on the cross and expels the darkness, nudges out the, the shadows in our lives. That light is here this morning. God's light is here this morning. And as you've this morning experienced that light, whether it's in our worship time, prayer time, during the message, and even right now, in a few moments, we're going to be sharing communion. We're going to be partaking of communion. We're going to be partaking of bread and, and, and wine that represents the body and blood of Jesus. We're going to be remembering what he did for us when he went to that cross, when he died on that cross, when he suffered for us, when he shed his blood, when he died, when he rose again on the third day. And we're going to be celebrating that. We're going to be remembering what he did, examining, allowing our lives and our hearts to be ex examined today. But what about that light? That light needs to be shared. Some of you this morning are here and you have seen some of God's light. You've experienced some of God's light. You've experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit and that nudging this morning. But that light is still to be shed in your heart and your life. Let me, let me read that scripture. I, I read it early on, but let me touch on it one more time. It says this. This is the crisis we're in. God light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. What I'm wanting to say and challenge some of you here this morning Stop running. Stop running. Let the light of God come into your life today. That light will shine into your life, begin to expel the darkness, and begin to fill you with the glorious light so that you can be a light to the world, a reflector of that light, that that little light of yours, it's not your light, it's God's light shining in your life to the world around about you. In a moment, if I'm going to invite all of us to pray a prayer. 
I'm going to invite you to repeat this prayer after me. Simple prayer, but a very profound one. If you this morning are praying that prayer for the very first time, or maybe you're praying it for the first time this morning, you've prayed it before, but this morning it's, it's, it's the Holy Spirit is making it real in, in your heart and your life, making room for God in your life in a different way today, allowing that light to come. This morning as you're praying that prayer, beginning the first step of letting the light of God bring forgiveness into your life and begin your walk with Him. So would you bow your heads with me this morning? I'm going to invite all to pray this prayer with me. And again, if you're praying it for the first time, experiencing God in a new way this morning, because He brings forgiveness. He brings forgiveness into our lives. So pray, repeat this after me this morning. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, something in my heart tells me I need you. I now confess my sin and repent of my sin and all the darkness that surrounds it. And by faith, reach out for your light. Ask you to come into my life. Your light reflected in my heart as my Savior and my Lord. Amen.